they'll come in later. All right, if everyone will go ahead and take your seats, we will get started this morning. And if someone hasn't done so yet, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you are hopefully prepared to worship this morning, here to praise God, to be encouraged, to be challenged, and to be ready to be sent out into the world around us in the week ahead. For the time being, we're glad you're here with us this morning. A couple of announcements that aren't in your, uh, in your whatever this announcement folder thing. Yeah. Words are hard. Um, Number one, there is uh, no singing class tonight, but Bill is still having his reflections class, excuse me, <coughs> over in the office building. They'll be covering uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and so if you don't have any plans tonight and would like to join them, they'll be over there at 5 o'clock on a couple weeks from now. Uh, on May the 7th, we are going to have a movie night uh, over in the Family Life Center uh, and so we just want to go ahead and put that date out there for you, mark it on your calendars, uh, and we'll give you more details as, as that gets a little bit closer. Um, we're going to hear an update today from Tucker on how LTC went, so that'll come in just a little while. So uh, I know you always hear, hear announcements talking about that and the practices and everything, but I think uh, if you, it's been a few years since West Irwin has uh, been a part of LTC, so... Uh, I think it'll be a good refreshing, good reminder of all the great things that happen there. I wanted to just add two things uh, that are on. Uh, one is on our prayer and care list online, but didn't make it into the bulletin. Uh, we want to remember Crystal Abel, or Crystal Abel's, Crystal Hill, sorry, as she uh, has surgery this week, as well as uh, Arnold Abel's. That's where I got the, the Abel's mixed up. But uh, a couple of days ago, uh, Arnold and Agnes are in assisted living, and Arnold took a fall and hit his head, and he is in UT Health now, and um, Gary's with him, uh, but it's just um, day-to-day as far as how his recovery is going. Some days have been better than others, and so we definitely want to uh, remember, remember Arnold and Agnes and the whole Abel's family as well. Uh, so if you would, let's begin uh, our worship this morning with prayer. Heavenly Father God, we are grateful for the opportunity to to worship you together today. We know that we We spend time with you every day, that we uh, commune with you through prayer. Uh, We are witnesses to your creation and all the glory around us that you have placed on this earth. But God, we are especially grateful to be together as a church family, to lift you up in song, to once again be reminded of the sacrifice that Jesus gave to us as we share in communion Remember what he was willing to do on our behalf. And as we spend time in the word and are, are both challenged and encouraged uh, for how we step out into the world and live our lives. God, we are grateful for this opportunity this morning. Lord, help us to live each day in a way that honors you, that encourages those around us, and that strives to be more like your son. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Eric. Well done. If you find it convenient, would you please stand for our opening hymn? There's a call. There's a call. 
I'd like to stay longer than of new elders and deacons last week we were in houston at a grandchild's birthday party so i was the only one that was not here so i wanted to clear that up in case anybody was curious <laughs> i hope you can hear me after that i crossed the pollen line and went to st louis and drove up there and back this week so <clears throat> my head's not very good because things are just now blooming up there and so i'm going through all this all over again but if you'll bow your heads let's pray Dear God, we come before you acknowledging you as to who you are, the creator of this universe, and also the provider of our salvation, enabling us to have an avenue of communication with you through Jesus, and also the, the promise of eternal life in a place that you are creating for us called heaven. We were, thank, we're very thankful for both of those, dear Heavenly Father. We, we always humbly approach your throne with our petitions and our prayers. Dear God, we're so thankful for the, the men and their wives and families that have committed to working here at this church and that we installed last week. because your kingdom requires work and effort and we're thankful for those that have stepped up to agree to help in the effort here at this place dear heavenly father we pray for 
wisdom as your leaders of this church that we will know how to approach this new generation that we find ourselves surrounded by, that we will stay solidly in your word, whether your message is accepted or rejected. Dear Heavenly Father, we we come to you with petitions today because of lost loved ones that we've had. We pray especially uh, for Jill Smith and her family and the loss of her mother. We know, dear Heavenly Father, in a good relationship that that, that bond between the, the mother and daughter is very strong, and we know that Jill will miss her mother very much, and we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you will give her the strength to continue uh, traveling back and forth to Louisiana to help take care of her father. Dear Heavenly Father, we, we're so thankful for the life of Kenneth Muncy and all that he means to this church through the years. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, the strength for Evelyn and the rest of their family in this great loss that they've had, but knowing that we are all headed to meet you someday, and that is our great reward, and we should always look forward to that. Even though it is difficult in the present, we know that in the future we will all meet up with those lost loved ones that have passed before us. We, Dear Heavenly Father, we um, have several people that are sick, and we want to pray uh, this morning for Camille Mink and her upcoming surgery on Friday. I want to pray also for my mother-in-law, Charlene Hubbard, that her treatments will continue to help her to improve that she will recover from her cancer that she has. Dear Heavenly Father, we live in a society that sins greatly. There's one particular sin that society does not even recognize and Unfortunately, most of the times, we don't recognize it either. But it is perhaps the most pervasive and destructive sin that there is. And that's the sin of selfishness. We see the destructive nature of that. Leads to envy, scorn, strife, violence, murder, jealousy. So many problems are affiliated with that. Yet we know our natural self always tells us that if we get what we want, we will find peace and happiness. The problem that we don't recognize, dear Heavenly Father, is the appetite of selfishness is voracious. That appetite can never be fulfilled. And when we strive to feed a desire that is impossible to fulfill, it leads to all the problems that we have in our world today. It leads to anger. Why not me? Why can't I have what they have? Jealousy. 
and even as we've seen in the streets, murder as well. Because that insatiable appetite for self, dear Heavenly Father, can never be quenched. Help us as your people to avoid this stepping stone to the worst sins of all by patterning our life after Jesus. We should live a selfless life, not a selfish life. And only when we lead a selfless life can we find the joy, the peace, the comfort that you've promised us. It's right before our eyes, but we miss it so often, dear Heavenly Father. Because we get caught up in this world and we follow the destructive paths of so many others that we see blindly, not even recognizing where the root cause of the problem lies. Dear Heavenly Father, we pray that as your people, we will be the called out ones, that we will look different from society as, as a whole, that we will live with honor and integrity, that we will stay true to your word and defend it at any cost. We come together this morning, dear Heavenly Father, as your church to worship you. And we pray, dear Heavenly Father, that our worship will be acceptable to you this morning and that you will see our hearts, and our hearts are always striving to do your will. Dear Heavenly Father, we fail you and we fail you often, and for that we are truly sorry and ask for your forgiveness. And we thank you in advance for that forgiveness, dear Heavenly Father. We pray all these things in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Prepare our minds for the taking of the Lord's Supper. Let's sing the first two verses of the old rugged cross. On a hill far away.
I grew up in a dinner table family. Uh, we spent a lot of time around the table. Uh, chances are, if we were eating a meal, uh, we were sitting around the table to do it. Um, it was usually I would be on one end of the table, my sister would be on the other, and then my parents on either side of the table. Um, we'd often laugh so hard, as I'm sure a lot of y'all have, that you're not able to take a bite for a couple minutes just because you're laughing so hard. Um, while every meal was good, there were specific meals that stuck out in my head. And of course, we have like the specific, oh, this is the greatest thing I've ever ate. But um, from week to week, there were specific meals. For instance, my favorite season of the year is fall. And uh, so Saturday mornings were pretty special for me because I would wake up to the smell of bacon or sausage and I'd walk out for the windows to be open and Lee Corsa would be on the TV and my dad would have the OU pregame on the radio. And uh, that's, that's a special, special memory for me because we'd sit around the table eating together that breakfast. Um, my other favorite meal of the week, and this was legitimately my favorite meal of the week, was Sunday dinner. Uh, now getting home from church and smelling the roast and carrots and mashed potatoes and all those things that have been cooking up in the crock pot overnight. Um, man, that, I, I think that whenever we step into heaven, that's what we're going to smell is that. Um, and you'll notice I said Sunday dinner. Um, you know, we eat breakfast, we eat lunch, and then we eat supper. Um, that's the family that I grew up in. We, we ate supper in my family. Um, except for once a week, whenever we'd go home from church and eat, eat around the table, we'd eat Sunday dinner is what it was. It wasn't Sunday lunch, it was Sunday dinner. I see Barbara shaking her head. That, yeah, I'm glad I'm not alone in this. Um, you know, I, I didn't make the rules. I don't know if we call that anymore. But uh, we just started up a new series in our Bible class this past week looking at a story that Jesus told. And it was the story of this dad and his two sons. And uh, you can read about it in Luke 15. Um, it's ter- typically called the parable of the, the prodigal son or the parable of the lost son. We've been calling it the parable of the lost sons. Uh, because as you read and as you dig in a little bit, you see that both sons are lost. Um, but we see one is lost in the issue of self-discovery and then the other one in moral conformity, both on opposite ends of the spectrum, but neither of them actually care for the father. Um, we know the story of the younger son gets his half the inheritance and then goes and squanders it, throws it all away. Uh, but then whenever he comes home, This is what we see, picking up in Luke chapter 15, verse 22. It says, But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So what do we see whenever the younger son comes home? We see a table is what it is. We we see a feast. We see a, a, a dinner table. They're gathering around. Maybe this is where you find yourself this morning. Maybe as you come to gather around this table, you feel a lot like the younger brother. Um, Maybe you're ashamed of what you were doing last night or the way that you spoke to a loved one this morning. Um, Maybe you come feeling broken and hopeless and just dragging in. Um, you, You don't feel like you actually have a spot at the table. We know that you do. Um, the younger brother, whenever he comes back, he obviously was not in good shape. Think about where he's coming from. Um, we know that he felt like he was starving to death. He's coming from hanging out with some pigs, longing to eat their food. Um, yet whenever he comes in, 
the father doesn't say, hey, let's go hose you off. Let's go wash your face and wash your hair. You smell real bad. We can't let you in the house like that. But instead, he goes and he puts his robe, the best robe would have been the father's robe, he puts his robe on the son in his messiness. He covers it up with his own robe. Or maybe, maybe you feel a lot like the older brother. Um, Maybe this morning you're having a hard time focusing because you're thinking about that person across the auditorium from you. That, uh, man, I I don't really want to be sitting at the same table as them. I, I don't really want to be doing that. Maybe that's where you find yourself. But we see the father goes out to that older son and says, please. He, he pleads with him. We know that he saved him a, a spot at the table as well. Um, you know, whenever you, you hear breakfast is the most important meal of the day, maybe, I, I don't know. Um, but what I do know is this meal that we're about to take in is the most important meal of the week. It's the most important meal that we can partake in. So I ask that you keep that in mind as we go to him in prayer. Let's pray. Father, I, I, I don't know how we come to this table. I'm sure that all across the room we have a whole variety of emotions as we come to this table, whether that's feeling broken or feeling on top of the world. Um, but Lord, we know that you have saved us a seat at your table. Um, Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for coming out to us um, and, and not just waiting for us to, uh, to drag ourselves in. Father, I pray that as we take the bread this morning, that we'll remember the sacrifice that makes this all possible, that we'll remember the body that was pierced on our behalf. Lord, we love you. We thank you so much for Jesus, and it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Father, as we come back to you, as we take this, this juice, as we take the juice that symbolizes the blood of Christ, Lord, I just pray that in this moment as we've got our eyes shut speaking to you, that you would uh, place that image in our mind, uh, place the image of the blood, of the blood flowing from the hands and the feet and the head. Um, it, it, would have been, it would have been messy. It wouldn't have been a pretty scene. Um, But, Lord, we know that with each drop of that blood that we're made more and more clean, that we're made cleaner than anything we've ever seen before, Lord. Um, We are made spotless because of that blood. Um, Father, remind us of that. Remind us of the way that you have made us spotless. And, Lord, uh, we can never thank you enough. We don't have the words to thank you for Jesus, for the sacrifice that he made. Um, But, Lord, I, I pray that you would Uh, see in our hearts how we feel. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
As we do move into our time of uh, giving, our time of contribution, um, I want for us to think back to the story a little bit. Think back to, we know the, the younger son comes and the father welcomes him back, but then we do have the older brother. We see him refusing to come in and the, older, uh, the, the father goes out and pleads with the older, older brother, the older son, uh, pleads with him for, for him to come in. Um, and we see the older brother is so worried about the cost of everything. Throughout this whole process, all of his inheritance just keeps getting split down more and more. The younger son takes it, it's split down. Whenever he comes back, he's welcomed back as a son. Suddenly, he has another portion of the inheritance, and so that's going to be taken away. And we see the older son is so worried about the cost. Um, yet, what does the father say? He says, everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have is yours. Not everything that you have is mine. Not I'm being controlling and possessive, but everything that I have is yours. And it's the same way for us. Everything that we have doesn't belong to us. It's all been a gift given from God. It's it's been a gift given from the Father. So as we enter into this time of of giving this contribution, um, let's be mindful of that. Be mindful of the the response that the the Father gives to the, the older son is the same response that he gives to us. Um, everything that I have is yours. And so let's give it back to him. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for the way that you've blessed us. Um, you've blessed us beyond measure. Uh, just the fact that we're sitting in here in comfy seats with the AC on. Um, Lord, we are sitting in a much better place than a vast majority of the world. Um, yet we can get caught up in comparing ourselves to what other people have. And, Father, I just pray that that wouldn't be so. Um, Lord, remind us that everything that we have is because you've given it to us. And it doesn't belong to us. And we know that you're faithful with our giving. You're faithful with our generosity, no matter how small or big it is. Um, Lord, it's the act of obedience and it's the act of trust in saying, Lord, um, I know this isn't mine and I trust you with it. Um, Convict us of that. Work on our hearts. And, Lord, I pray that we'll give to you in a cheerful spirit. We love you, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
All righty. Um, Y'all are probably sick of hearing about LTC, but we're going we're gonna to do it one more time. Um, what? It was an awesome weekend. Let me just tell you guys. It was an awesome weekend, and I am tired. I am glad to have one under my belt, and I am so excited for next year. But what a weekend it was. Now, if you don't know what LTC is, um, I mean, it's all that you're seeing up there. We had, had an LTC preview the week before. Um, you go, and you go to the, the Hilton Anatole in Dallas, and you compete in a lot of different events that we've been practicing the months leading up to it on. Um, so much time is spent put into this, and it's such, such a great opportunity. Um, I just want to thank people first. I want to thank the coaches. So um, these teams, it would have been real interesting to see what all the students would have come up by themselves without some, some adult supervision, um, and that's where the coaches come into play. So I want to thank, uh, for middle school drama, we had Ginger Pippen. For high school drama, we had Bill Allen. Middle school puppets, we had two teams, actually, and it was David and Marla Canifax were the coaches. High school puppets, we had Emily Taylor and Sarah Alvey. And the chorus was Wendy McCauley, and she did a phenomenal job. With That was our biggest group. We had 15 kids in there, and she did amazing with them. And then lastly, uh, I myself had Bible quiz. Um, other thanks, uh, there were so many things, like I said, going into this weekend, all the time spent. But then the weekend itself, there are a lot of moving parts. And there's a lot of, I mean, everybody there, all hands are on deck. And so I just want to thank everybody who helped with the weekend itself, the hospitality suite, the banquet Saturday night, so much more. And also, I, I thanked them there. I'll thank them again. Um, the sacrifice that the parents make, I mean, they're giving up hours and hours and hours with their students. And that's a big sacrifice. Um, bigger for some than for others. But... Uh, a big sacrifice nonetheless. And, and lastly, I want to thank Wes Sterwin. I want to thank all of you um, for your support, um, for your prayers leading up to this. So now, uh, the participants, I am going to ask you guys to stand up, so get ready. Get, get loose and stuff. Um, we had 20 students participate from third grade to seniors. So we had Grayson McCauley, Gage Moore, Cord Diller, Kaisley Blackstone, Reese Pippen, Jude Everson, I've seen a lot of people not standing up, Taryn Tapley, Annie Moore, Cohen Monahan, good job, Taryn, Casey Alvey, Riley Hill, Lainey Canifax, Jet Monahan, Carter Pippen, Caleb Pippen, Jolie Alvey, Logan Stone, Jordan Hill, Ethan Stone, and Nathan Turner. Good job, guys. All right, y'all can sit down. Um, our events that we participated in were Bible quiz, chorus, middle school, high school drama, middle school, high school puppets. Individual events were art, which Grace McCauley participated in. Bible reading, we had 10 guys, and our very own Nathan Turner was selected to speak on Sunday morning. So great job, Nathan. He did awesome. Um, song leading, Logan Stone did that, and he also got to lead a song in front of a, a few hundred people during Bible quiz. No big deal. And then speech, um, Caleb Pippen did a wonderful job with this speech. Um, Awards-wise, we had 21 different awards passed out, um, different grades given. We had two bronze, um, which I may or may not have been the coach of both of those teams. We had three silver, and then we had 16 gold. So out of 21, we had 16 gold, which is just awesome. And the bronze are awesome, too. Um, this... Guys, I'm telling y'all, this is a special, special, special weekend. Um, 
And, you know, we go through that, 21 different medals, 16 of them gold. All the golds are great, but as you're seeing in these photos right here, um, that's not the reason why we do LTC. That's not why we're a part of it. Um, we do it for the hours upon hours spent in practice up here, laughing together, making memories together, inside jokes, different stuff like that all come from time spent together. Um, we do it for during the Saturday night banquet. Um, this is also in, if you got a bulletin, you can see the photos pretty well in there. Um, Saturday night banquet, as we're honoring a couple of our senior guys, um, you know, I, I expected tears from Jonathan and Randy, I'll be honest, but... I look up, and the whole, there's a whole table that's just sobbing. I'm like, guys, what is going on? And then I realize they're crying about these guys leaving. Um, that's, man, that's, that's special, special moments right there. And then praying over them as we're all hugging together, half the room crying. Um, we do it, I talked about this last week, but we do it for the moments when, uh, like at 1030 at night, we baptize Jolie Alvey in a bathtub. Um, she was... She was ready. We asked her if she wanted to wait till the next day, and she said no. So we went forward and we figured it out. And uh, you can also see in the bulletin a picture of uh, Nathan holding up a phone as we got a room full of people crowded around watching on FaceTime because we could only fit like six people in the bathroom. Um, that's a memory I'll never forget. The reason why we do LTC is because it's what church is meant to be. Um, whenever we read in Acts 2 about the early churches, it's just forming and thousands are being added to their number daily. Um, what do we see? We see a community of believers living together, sharing life together, eating together, making all these memories all to the glory of God. And everybody plays a part. Um, there's no consumers, only, only contributors. And uh, in LTC, if you're involved, you're contributing. So I'm already looking forward to next year. Like I said, I'm tired. But next year is going to be awesome. Um, look forward to taking everybody back. And this is where I want to encourage anyone who wasn't involved this year. Um, let's get you involved. It is a special, special weekend, and you will absolutely not regret it. Uh, the, the rewards that you'll see from LTC will last a lifetime. Well, everybody, it's that most exciting time of the morning for our young people. It's blast time. So if you'd like to be dismissed for that, attend those classes to make it easy for them to pass. Would you mind standing for the singing of our song before the lesson? Let's all sing together. Mm-hmm. Holy words, long for our
Let me add an amen to what Tucker said about our leadership training for Christ. I was trying to do the math in my head, and I think Joyce and I have been involved with LTC for over 30 years, and um, we couldn't be happier about that, probably closing in on 40, actually. But um, it's a, as Tucker said, it's a, it's a great, great blessing to our youth, to our church, to our families. We reap so many benefits from all of the work that's put into that and that wonderful experience, and our kids will remember that always, and that's what we want. We want our kids, as they grow up in a world that is not very sympathetic to biblical values, we want them to connect to the church. We want them to connect to the Word. We want them to connect with each other and with others within our church family, and very few things we do do that as well as leadership training for Christ. So, I appreciate all the work that Tucker did, and that was a lot, and uh, all of those that participated. I do want to say a little word about our encouragement cards. One of the things that we do all the time here that doesn't get a lot of notice is our encouragement cards. It's these little blue cards, as we say, on the back of the pew in front of you. That's where the Apostle Paul had it and when he went to church, and that's where we have it. So be sure and get one of those. I have issued a challenge to our encouragement card workers, and we have a bunch of those that mail these out every week. Um, and, And that is an encouragement card challenge to fill out two cards per week between now and the end of May. Doesn't sound like very much, only two cards, only from now till the end of May. If you want to keep it up, that's great. But let me challenge all of us to do that. You're saying, but Bill, I didn't fill out a card and I missed the the contribution plate. It's okay. You have my permission to fill out the card right now during Bill's sermon. I know that, you know, there's also the grocery list and the to-do list coming up this week that you typically do during my sermon, but hold that off for just a few moments and uh, go ahead and write an encouragement card out uh, to someone. As Wade shared, we have a whole slew of new leaders, servant leaders uh, with our elders and deacons. We have a lot of people that do a lot of stuff on, a, on an everyday, every week basis uh, for our church. So encouragement card challenge, two of those each week. If I were to ask you, how many people did Jesus himself raise from the dead? Would you know the answer? Surprisingly, Scripture does not record Jesus raising many people from the dead at all. He does raise some. And so we're in the midst of a a series that I've just titled Resurrections. We started a couple of weeks ago, took a break last week for the wonderful day that God blessed us with, uh, uh, appointing these new leaders in our eldership and and with our deacons. And next week we're going to finish this series out with the last of those that Jesus uh, raised from the dead, Lazarus. Uh, But today I want us to look at a couple of others. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at that great passage from John 10 where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But Jesus, very in a a way that we don't always think about, uh, put himself on that list of the ones that he raised from the dead. It's an amazing thing to think about. We know the Father raised him from the dead, but Jesus himself says in John chapter 10, I am the good shepherd. I have the authority and the power to lay that life down and to raise it back up again. Very interesting how he does that. But when we take himself out of the picture, there are only three accounts in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
that tell us about Jesus actually raising someone from the dead. There are lots of stories about Jesus performing miracles, healings, helping people, all of his teaching, of course, but only three times do we read a story about Jesus actually raising someone else uh, from the dead. And so, like I said, one of those is Lazarus. We'll see him next week as we wrap up this short series. But we're going to look at the other two today. First one, it is this one in Luke chapter 7. Jesus raises the son of a widow from the town of Nain. This is a really interesting story. I think it's a very powerful story. It, it, it gives us a picture of the heart of Jesus, how much he cares, how compassionate he is in a way that, that we seldom see. And yet Luke is the only one that records this story. To me, I find that amazing. Luke chapter 7, we'll start in verse 11. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, verse 13, his heart went out to her. And he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Jesus raises the son of a widow from Nain. And Luke is very specific. He tells us that not only was she a widow, she had lost her husband, but this was her only son. And so there was, of course, a large crowd there with her. And we would understand that. This, everyone's heart goes out to this woman at this moment. But what happens after the funeral? It talks about Jesus touching the, the beer, the, the, the stand that they carry the casket on. Other translations say he touched the open coffin itself. And so Jesus acted in a way that was different than what everybody else was acting on, which was good because it was good for them to see, for her to see how much people cared about her. But after this, they would all go home, and here would be this widow with no husband and no son, and she would be in that group of widows with no husband and no child and trying to find some way to get through each day. And it says that Jesus' heart went out to her. And the reason for that is simply this. Jesus cares. He cares. He cared for that woman. Yes, he cared for the son and bringing him back to life, absolutely. But I think the one Jesus really, truly cared for in that moment was that boy's mother, this widow who had lost her husband and now was burying her only son. And Jesus, with great power and authority, tells him, young man, get up. Next week, we'll see him standing outside of the place, a burial where Lazarus had been laid in one of the tombs, saying, Lazarus, 
come forth. It's just an incredible display of power, but not just power. It is a display of affection. It's a display of compassion. It's a display of love. And I think about what Tucker shared about as we gathered around the table and the story of that loving father and how he looked at each of those two sons, the young son as he was coming back from uh, the far country, but also the older son as he was sitting on the porch pouting because he was mad. And the father looked at both of them with the same look, that look of compassion, that look of love. And Jesus looks at this woman with the same look. He stops them. He touches the coffin, tells the boy to get up, and he does. And the people react. They're filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us. But I think the most significant thing that they say is the next line. God has come to help his people. Which could be considered blasphemy if they're considering Jesus God. But he was, and he is, but he is a God who cares. Similar thing happened, somewhat similar with Elijah raising a widow's son himself in 1 Kings 17. The second event that we'll talk about today involves uh, the daughter of a synagogue leader. Jesus raises the daughter of a synagogue leader. And this story is found in Matthew and Luke and Mark and we'll read the account in Mark, in Mark chapter 5. And it's, it's interesting because it's, uh, it's one of those stories of Jesus where it kind of happens in parts. And the reason it happens in parts is because they're interrupted. In Mark chapter 5, verse 21, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders, named Jairus, came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. So we see it's something similar we'll read about next week in uh, John 11 when Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Lazarus, your friend, our brother is sick. Please come and do something. Well, that's what happens here. This man, this synagogue leader, Jairus, goes to Jesus and says, please come and help me. My daughter is very, very ill. So Jesus goes with him. The rest of verse 24, a large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. The traditional translation, if I can just touch the hem of his garment... I'll be healed. I know, I believe, I know. In spite of all of the years of trying everything and spending everything, she knew that this man could make the difference. And so she did that. She went there. Probably no one saw her. No one knew about her. Everyone probably tried to stay away from her, if, especially if they knew that she had this disorder because it could cause them to become ceremonially unclean. When Jesus touched that coffin, he became ceremonially unclean. And nobody wanted that. 
And so here comes this woman trying to stay in the shadows, trying to not say a word, trying to not be noticed, but there to touch just a piece of his clothing, and she would be healed. Verse 30, at once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? And I love the disciples' reaction. They says, are you kidding? (laughs) Everyone, everyone touched your clothes. What are you talking about? There's this huge crowd of people, and they're all there to see Jesus, to hear Jesus, and they're all swarming him. Everyone touched your clothes, and yet Jesus said, who touched me? Someone touched me in a way like no one else did. And I I think to myself as I read this story, didn't he know? Well, of course he knew. When God asked Adam and Eve, where are you? Didn't he know? Yes. What have you done? Yes, he knew that. God tends to ask us questions, not so that he will find out information but so that we will so that we'll know a little bit more about ourselves so that we'll know a little bit more about him and his will so that we'll know a little bit more about each other and I think that's what Jesus wanted realizing this woman realized that she was never going to get away with this so verse 33 the woman knowing what had happened to her came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear told him the whole truth He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. It wasn't, woman, why did you interrupt me? We're on an important place here. We're on an important mission here. But rather it was, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Verse 35, while Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? He's too late. They said, he's too late. There's nothing he can do. And they were wrong. Overhearing what they said, verse 36, Jesus told him, don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. Peter, James, and John. They go with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. They go a little farther in the garden with Jesus. And they go here. And James, the brother of John, is the first apostle killed for the faith. Verse 38, when they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. He went and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead but asleep. And they what? They laughed. They knew she was dead. Jesus just got there. He must not know. And why would he make such a ridiculous statement? They knew she was dead. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him, Peter, James, and John, and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her in Aramaic, Talitha Kaum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and began to walk around. She was 12 years old. At this, they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. But of course, the other gospel writers say, but the word about this spread everywhere. (laughs) Of course it would. When Jesus raised the son of a widow from Nain, we realized how much he cared. In this story, raising this daughter of the synagogue leader Jairus and his wife, 
we find this statement once again affirmed, Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of all. He's Lord of the dead and the living. He's Lord of past, present, and future. He is Lord of the healthy and the ill. He is Lord of the good and the bad. He is the Lord of the living and the dead. Jesus is Lord of all. Not just Elijah, but the prophet who took his place, Elisha, in 2 Kings 4, had his heart go out to this woman that had helped him and her husband. Having given them a child because they had been childless up until that point, and now this child years later had died, and Elisha brings him back from the dead. Jesus cares. Jesus is Lord of all. And I can't help but say a hearty amen to the reaction of the people in that little town of Nain. God has come to help his people. That's what both of these stories come to is that statement. God has come to help his people. And I want you to know that today he has still come to help his people. He has come to help you in whatever it is that you're going through. It's a wonderful description of Jesus, and it's very similar to the description that the Apostle Peter has in Acts chapter 10. When he talks to Cornelius the Gentile about Jesus, he says, he went around doing good. That's how Jesus was known. He went around doing good. He went around helping. And we'll see both of those great truths how much Jesus cares, how he is Lord of all, how he wants to help. In the last of these messages next Sunday. For now, let's end today by asking ourselves these two questions. Number one, do people believe that I care? They believe that Jesus cared. Do people believe that I care? He stopped that funeral procession made himself ceremonially unclean and brought that boy back to life. Why? Not just because he had the power to do it, but because he cared. He saw that woman like no one else did. Do people see that in me? We know the statement that people will ask, truer today, I think, than ever. I don't care how much you know until what? I know how much you care. You talk about right or wrong, what the scriptures teach or don't teach, till you're blue in the face. But if someone is hearing that from someone that they don't think cares, it won't matter. It won't matter. But if they look at you and they see someone who cares about them, then your words will have an impact. Do people believe that I care? Secondly, do people believe that I have come to help them. One of the verses that we sang that Michael led us in, let us not grow weary in the work of love, send the light. Don't become weary. Don't become weary in trying to help people. Tonight as we look at this great resurrection chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, I, I think he says everything for 57 verses so he can make one statement in verse 58. And that's this one that we just sang, don't get tired doing good. Don't grow weary. It's worth it. It's worth it because the tomb is empty. It's worth it because our Savior did the same for us. He cared about us and he came to help us. Do people know that you care? Do people feel 
that you're there in their lives to help. The power of the blood of Jesus can make both of those truer than it's ever been. If we can help you get to that place, come as we stand. Sing this great old hymn together. Would you be free from the burden of sin? There's power in the blood. on that one. As always, we're glad that you're here today and we invite you to come and be with us tonight for our classes that will be meeting here at 5 o'clock and of course our Wednesday night Bible classes. We encourage you all to come. Most of all, so thankful and we pray earnestly, I'm sure, that our worship was acceptable to Almighty God this hour. We ask each of you to go in peace. Let's have one verse of Send the Light and then we'll have our closing prayer. There's a call so glad that each and every one of you are here this morning and so let's pray and then we can get out of here <laughs> dear lord we thank you for the beautiful rain this morning and this wonderful opportunity that you give us each and every sunday to come here and meet and be with like-minded people to learn and grow in your name lord we thank you for keeping us safe through the previous weather that we had last week and we pray for those that were heavily affected Lord, we pray that you help us look on the bright side of things and to keep moving and growing in your name. We pray for everybody on our prayer and care list and that you keep us, that you keep us safe throughout the week. In these things we pray. Amen.